This is Baseball Tonight, the podcast. This is the Baseball Tonight podcast for Friday, May 13th, 2022, and today will be better than yesterday. Producing from Bristol with a heart in the heartland is Sarah Abbott. I'm Buster Only, working from my home in New York. Sarah, you're running the ship solo today. I know. It's always so much fun to do it solo, but I always miss Taylor. <laughs> so I'm sure he's having a great time with his family. Yep, exactly. Yeah, congratulations uh, to, to, to uh, Taylor's wife, who is uh, you know, finishing up her uh, degree this weekend. Uh, I'm headed uh, this weekend to see my daughter, Sydney, uh, graduate from college. So I will not be on Sunday Night Baseball. Tim Kirkton's filling in for me. We're going to be talking with him in a few minutes uh, from an airport someplace. Last night in Los Angeles, the Phillies and the Dodgers, and the big news actually happened before the game when the Phillies revealed that Harper has a small partial tear of his right UCL. That's on his throwing arm. He's going to get a PRP injection this weekend, and he'll miss some games. He can't throw for four weeks, and then they'll assess where he's at. Uh, He is able to continue serving as the designated hitter, and you know what? He's been hot lately. Pulled out toward right field. That's well hit. That's going back. It is gone. A solo home run for Bryce Harper, his seventh of the year. And the Phillies jump out to a one nothing lead. That was from NBC Sports Philadelphia, Bryce Harper in the first inning. Well, these two teams are going back and forth. Bottom of the eighth inning, Chris Taylor at the plate. The 3-1 to Taylor. Hard ground ball, base hit in the left field. In the score is Smith. Here comes Turner, now stopped at the last instant by Dino Ebel. The score is tied at seven. In the top of the ninth inning, with the score still tied, this is what happened. Here's the pitch. He bounces it. It goes to the backstop. Here comes Odubel, and the Phillies are back in front. 8-7 on a wild pitch. It goes all the way to the backstop, and Odubel scampers home to put the Phillies back on top. That from Sports Radio 94 WIP. The Orioles have been winning series in the month of May. They faced the Cardinals yesterday in the top of the seventh inning. Cedric Mullins added to a lead. The 0-2 to Cedric. Line drive, base hit right field. Owings around third base. The throw coming in, and he will slide in safely. It's an RBI single for Cedric Mullins, and it's a 3-0 Baltimore lead. Final score there, 3-2 Baltimore. That sound from WBAL. The Cleveland Guardians reported no new COVID-19 cases Thursday, but they sent Terry Francona and five coaches home from a road trip uh, pitching coach Carl Willis will serve as the interim manager over the course of the weekend. Hot Ticket is brought to you by Vivid Seats, where you earn rewards with every purchase. Vivid Seats Rewards is your ticket to more tickets. Vivid Seats, life happens live. In Minnesota, the Astros and Twins resumed a suspended game, and Houston won that 11-3. Afterward, Jordan Alvarez had himself a game. Now the 0-1. And this one's belted straight away. Center field going back. Gordon, and he leaps, and it's over his head and over the wall. A two-run shot by Alvarez. Oh, the 1-0, and Alvarez hits it pretty well and pretty deep to left center. Racing over is Gordon on the warning track at the wall. See you later. Second home run of the game for Jordan Alvarez, and the Astros' lead is 5 to nothing. Alvarez goes deep for the 10th time this year.
Yeah, so he hits two home runs in that second game, that sound from KBME 790 AM. And now Houston, after that 5-0 win in the second game, they have 10 straight victories. Now, before the Yankees game in Chicago last night, Yankees general manager Brian Cashman responded to those remarks by Astros owner Jim Crane to USA Today that we talked about on the podcast yesterday. Cashman volleyed criticism back at Crane. Here's Cashman speaking with Marley Rivera and other reporters. They're trying to equate it with what the Astros did. Well, I think... And I don't think anybody equates that. it to what the Astros did except for Houston. Okay. <laughs> so, was, I mean, the feedback from everybody in the industry, including Major League Baseball, uh-huh. you know, obviously going back, like... I mean, was that your the concern? Reason that, that because the context had changed that it would be seen? I, I'm not in control of any of that. So, okay. at the end of the day, so, as I said, you know, no one's buying the tune he's singing, so no one's going to dance to that tune. <laughs> and the reason I kind of equated it to a parking ticket to, to a felony, trying to equate the parking ticket to a felony... Um, as you recall, they lost multiple years of draft picks, first-round draft picks. They were fined millions of dollars and decided to fire their manager and general manager because of their actions. There's no equivalent to any of it. So that's why I said it's a deflection. No one's buying it. No one's singing to that dance tune. It is what it is. So, uh, But yeah, I applaud them for trying. So. Little while after that, the Yankees took on the White Sox and Chicago starter Dylan Cease in the first game of that series. And early on, Cease had good stuff, but Giancarlo Stanton was all over him. Fly ball, deep right, going back, Engel on the track. See ya! Another home run for Stanton. A two-run shot, and the Yankees take a 5-3 lead. So for the first time in his career in this game, Stanton hit two Opposite field home runs. And Aaron Judge hit a home run. And Burr deals. Drilled deep to left field. There it goes. See ya. A monster mash. Oh, what a shot by Judge. And then in the top of the eighth, with the score tied 7-all, this is what happened. Grounded up the middle. And it's grabbed there by Garcia. The throw to first. Not in time. Two-run score. Heads up base running by Glaber Torres. And the Yankees take a 9-7 lead. An infield single scores two runs for the Yanks. That was Michael Kay on the Yes Network. And leave it to Josh Donaldson to apply the coup de grace. High fly ball. Deep left field. Pollock back. Track. Wall. See ya. The Yankees blow it open. A three-run shot. So the Yankees win the game 15-7 to in the first game of that series. Sarah, what else you got? Everyone, be sure to check out First Take, Her Take. It is such a fun show with L. Duncan, Charlie Arnold, Kimberly A. Martin. The three of them together talk everything pop culture, sports, lifestyle, you name it, they cover it. And it is such a fun show to work on. Be sure to listen every Wednesday morning. Also, the final episode of Manny in the Arena is here exclusively on ESPN+, Plus, which means all episodes are now officially streaming, 22 seasons, 10 Super Bowl appearances, and Tom Brady like you've never heard him before. Featuring Tom Brady's three sisters, Giselle Bundchen, Tom Brady Sr., Gronk, Michael Strahan, and more. All episodes are now streaming on ESPN Plus, presented by Under Armour. Vivid Seats wants to get you to the games you love this spring. 
Experience every pitch, assist, and game-winning shot live and in person. And the best part? Each transaction is a step toward a free 11 ticket with Vivid Seats rewards. Score unbeatable perks like free tickets, surprise seat upgrades, and annual birthday deals. As the official ticketing partner of ESPN, Vivid Seats is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with Code Baseball. That's Code Baseball. Visit VividSeats.com or download the app today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. Dogs are an important part of our lives, and keeping them protected is a top priority, especially against nasty parasites. That's why you got to check out NexGuard Plus, a Foxaloner, Moxidectin, and Pyrantal chewable tablets. NexGuard Plus chews provide one-and-done monthly protection that kills fleas and ticks, prevents heartworm disease, plus it treats and controls roundworms and hookworms. That's a whole lot of protection packed into a delicious beef-flavored soft chew designed to make monthly dosing easy and enjoyable. So the next time you're at the vet, ask about NexGuard Plus Chews. They're the one-and-done monthly parasite protection you want for your dog. Used with caution in dogs with a history of seizures or neurological disorders. Dogs should be tested for existing heartworm infection prior to starting preventive. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Unfortunately, your flight to Bristol has been delayed once again. But for your entertainment purposes, please listen to the Baggage Claim Monday edition of the Baseball Tonight podcast with Buster Olney. The white zone is for immediate unloading and loading of passengers only. No parking in the white zone. Thank you. That's right. It's a baggage claim day on the Baseball Tonight podcast, but it's not a baggage claim Monday. It's baggage claim Friday, and Tim Kirchin is at an airport, and he's traveling today. Tim, where are you headed? Uh, well, I'm at the Washington-Reagan airport, but uh, you may not know this, Buster, but I travel so much that, that Terminal C is actually in the basement of my house, so I just walked downstairs in order to go to the terminal. I am going to St. Louis today. I can't wait. I'm doing the radio game tomorrow, and then I'm replacing you in the dugout on Sunday night, so it's going to be great. Yeah, my daughter, uh, Sydney, is graduating from college this weekend. You've been through this twice. What advice do you have for me? Um, well, this will be a great moment for you and your daughter and your entire family, and it will be a precursor to what is coming next. Eventually, maybe she'll get married, she'll have children, all this other stuff. Who knows? I just know that as a dad, uh, the older the kids get, the more powerful the moments become. Yeah, it. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. I know it's uh, something that you and I have talked about in the past, about all the you know, the cool uh, experiences you get to share with your kids as you go along. All right. Uh, let's talk first about Bryce Harper. You know, a lot of talk out of last night about Aaron Judge and the Yankees. But I actually thought that this news was the most significant yesterday, uh, not only because of uh, where we are in the moment with the Phillies, but I think moving forward as well. What does this all mean with Bryce Harper's elbow? Well, he's not going to be able to throw for another month now which means he's going to have to be the DH because he's the reigning MVP and he's off to a good start, which means that challenge to Philadelphia outfield defense is going to be challenged even more because Nick Castellanos and Kyle Schwarber 
what are going to have to play the outfield because Harper is going to have to be the DH. Um, but they can get by with Schwarber. They certainly can get by with Castellanos. you got to have all three of those guys in the order as often as you can. But eventually, eventually, outfield defense can can pay a price if it's not uh, up to par. But we'll see. And I think Harper's going to hit because you know soon after he got diagnosed with his elbow injury, he had a home run last night, got another big hit. So he'll hit through this. He just can't throw through this. Yeah, it certainly uh, you know potentially blows up the Phillies' plans because Bryce Harper is the best of those three corner outfielders by far. I think you would agree with me on that. You know, Castellanos and Schwarber. So probably what Dave Dombrowski, uh, John Middleton, the owner of the Phillies, were thinking was, you know what, we can live with one bad outfielder. Uh, you know, we can have either Schwarber or Castellanos play a corner. We can have Bryce in the other corner most of the time. Occasionally move Bryce Harper to DH. Uh, yeah, and and that way we'll be functional in the outfield. But Tim, now that can't happen indefinitely. And on top of that, here's the worst case scenario: uh, is that at some point he's going to need Tommy John surgery, and the Phillies will be looking at a situation where the guy that they gave a three hundred thirty-five million dollar contract to, the face of their franchise, is going to miss a whole season. Yeah, that's discouraging news, and if you're a Phillies fan, you can't even think about that now. You have to hope he can get through the season healthy and hit and do the best he can and then face uh, a much longer time out. Buster, we, we've talked about outfield defense many times, and again, I go way back on this. The 87 Orioles, who were terrible, had the worst outfield defense I've ever seen, and it affected their pitching, which wasn't very good to begin with. But I watched pitchers, they were literally afraid to throw the ball over the plate because they knew if a ball was put in play, especially in the outfield, it was not going to be caught. And that can affect the way a pitcher goes about things when he looks around and doesn't have faith that if the ball's hit in the air, we're going to catch it somewhere. The one thing I would say, and I'm curious to see if you agree with me, when you hear about someone having a torn ligament in his elbow – uh, when we first started hearing that, you know, many years ago, it was like, well, it's a done deal. He's going to have Tommy John. It does feel like that players can get through this and can be functional. It's possible to navigate your way through without having that surgery. And maybe the best, um, you know, the best example of that is Masahiro Tanaka, who, you know, we heard about. He had this partially torn elbow ligament. We talked about it. I did anyway, about like a time bomb. It was not a matter of, of uh you know, if it was a matter of when, who knows with Bryce, right? And as you pointed out, he's demonstrated that he can still hit with whatever issue he has here. Yeah, and I remember Tanaka well about this. I was told repeatedly, well, he's going to have to have the surgery. He's not going to be able to get by without it. And not only did he get by without it, he was pretty good without it. And that's a pitcher throwing 100 pitches a game as opposed to a right fielder who every once in a while, only once in a while, really has to cut loose. That's really difficult to play right field unless you're 100% healthy throwing the ball. But guys have done it. Bryce Harper's a tough guy, and I can't imagine him saying, yeah, I'm going to sit out a year because I can't throw very well. I, I think he's going to stay in there and hit no matter what. All right, let's pivot to the Yankees. An absolutely impressive win last night. They're facing Dylan Cease, who's been one of the best pitchers in the American League this year. Uh, you know, early on, he's striking guys out left and right. He racked up 11 in the first four innings, showed an incredible changeup, which is 
you know, 20 miles per hour less than his fastball. Plus, he's got a good breaking ball. And Tim, they absolutely wore him down with great at bats after great at bats. They are 23 and eight, which is right in the same neighborhood as some of the best Yankee teams that we've ever seen. How good are these guys? Well, they're pretty darn good, Buster. And back to Cease for a minute again, just another pitching line slash performance that personifies the way baseball is played today. He got hit hard last night and still struck out 11 guys in four innings. No one's ever struck out 11 batters in an outing of four innings or less, ever. And not only did he do that, he gave up six runs because he got pounded because Stanton hit two and Judge hit one. The Yankees are 20-1 and when those guys hit a home run in the same game. And this is a good offensive team. We're finally starting to see that. But what we've seen, Buster, all year, the reason they're 23-8, and is how well they have pitched. I told you I saw Booney in spring training, and I asked him about his rotation. I went through him, and I got to Nestor Cortez fifth. And he goes, fifth? Nestor's going to make the all-star team. This was in spring training. And I didn't laugh, because, but he was—he said, watch this guy. He's great. We know he had a good year last year. He's been spectacular this year. Their starting pitching especially has been good. And I think the Yankees are going to make the playoffs with this team. We'll see if they can continue to play this way for most of the season. As of this morning, they are 12 games ahead of the Boston Red Sox. I sent a note to our friend Sarah Langs this morning about, you know, how often a team has dug itself out of a deficit that deep. And look, uh, you know, there, there, uh, you know, there are other teams that uh, obviously competing with the Yankees, the Rays, and the Jays. But it really says something, 12 games ahead of Boston already, and we're not even to May 15th yet, which is kind of crazy. It's pretty clear that the heart of the Yankees start is Aaron Judge. Tim, uh, before the season starts, as you know, uh, he turned down an offer from the Yankees of $213.5 million. I had people on the player side. I had someone in the union. I had agents. I had, uh, you know, club executives saying, boy, I don't know. That's a pretty fair offer. That's a good offer for a guy who's going to turn 30. And, you know, this is Aaron Judge betting on himself. Tim, as of this morning, at his current pace, the way he's uh, going so far, he'll finish this season with 125 runs, 31 doubles, 57 homers, a 136 RBI. So far, his slash line this year, 296 average, 359 on base, 635 slugging, which is the highest in his career. And I was trying to think of comparables in baseball history when you saw someone bet heavily on himself. And I really couldn't think of a perfect comp. Uh, maybe the best one I could think of was when CC Sabathia uh, was traded to the Brewers. And, the, you know, the, the Indians didn't at that time make a huge offer to Sabathia the way that the Yankees did to Judge. But Sabathia, as you remember, down the stretch, you know, agreed to pitch on three days rest repeatedly for the Brewers. Uh, which people around baseball thought, man, he is crazy to agree to that. But you know what? Along the way, he checked every box. You know, not only was he a great pitcher, but he was a great teammate. Uh, he, he, you know, did all the intangible things. And I feel like Aaron Judge is doing that this year, you know, having bet on himself so much. What do you think? Yeah, well, he's, um, it's too early to have leaders for the MVP, but he's the leader for the MVP. He's yep. been absolutely tremendous. And I'm with you. 
And I heard from a lot of people also that was a very fair offer that the Yankees made, given his age and his injury history. But he is playing through it. And let's face it, Buster, if this is a case this year where the ball is not going to travel like it has in recent years, and now some of our pixie little middle infielders are going to recognize, I can't hit the ball out of the ballpark anymore, maybe there'll be an even greater premium on the big guys that can hit home runs like Pete Alonzo and of course Aaron Judge. So maybe he's coming out at the perfect time if this, you know, the, the ball isn't flying theory goes for the entire season, maybe his value goes up even more. This is really impressive. This it, it's not comparable, but remember betting on yourself, you know, Andre Dawson during that terrible time in the eighties when no one would offer him something anything in contract he just said look here's the contract i don't care what you pay me i'm gonna play just sign me and then he went out and hit what 49 homers and won the mvp for the cubs now if you're a house nine runner the owner of the yankees on one hand you're excited about the team is playing and uh, you get a lot of interest a lot of eyeballs in this team it's a fun team to watch and <laughs> in the distance though tim I see these storm clouds gathering for Hal Steinbrenner because this is developing into an unbelievable lit litmus test that now has a different context that Steve because Steve Cohen owns the Mets, right? Uh, we're going to get to free agency in the fall because Aaron Judge, uh, you know, having turned down that Yankees offer, it's not like he's going to in midseason say, "Hey, can we talk again?" And you know, that he'll reach free agency. And if he continues to play this well, he's going to get a, a offers of over $300 million. And if you're Steinbrenner, after what Steve Cohen's done with the Mets, man, there's going to be some special and new type of pressure on him. Right. I don't think there's any doubt. Anytime, of course, when the Mets and Yankees are competing for anything, you know, New York, uh, postseason, whatever it is. But when you're talking about a premier player like this, uh, th this would open up a whole new free, uh, word to free agency if Steve Cohen were, would, would get involved for Aaron Judge after the season, which you're right. You know he would have to look at that, and then it would be up to the Yankees to say we're not letting this guy go, period, and we can't let him go across town. And, Tim, I think there would be pressure even if the Mets don't get involved. Like Steve Cohen might say, look, we got to pay other people. We're not going to focus on him, but he's – uh, you know, he now uh, what Cohen has done for the Mets is a little bit like when George Steinbrenner owned the Yankees, where, you know what, we're going to go after the best player. And that now becomes the standard in New York. And so even if the Mets don't go after him, say it's the Giants that do with the Dodgers or, you know, some other big market team, th there's going to be pressure on Steinbrenner because of what Cohen's done with the Mets. Fascinating scenario, and I can wait till the offseason, believe me, Buster, but that will be one of the great stories of uh, next offseason. All right. What would you think of what Brian Cashman said in response to uh, Astros owner Jim Crane? Well, I'm not surprised that, that, you know, Brian Cashman said what he said and the way he said it, because at least according to the, the proof that we're, we were given about what the Yankees did and what the Astros did, this is clearly not in the same ballpark. Clearly the Astros did more to bend the rules than the Yankees did. And then this is just Brian Cashman saying, look, we, this study has been done the, and you guys did more than we did. So I'm going to leave this alone. I, I thought 
that's the way Brian Cashman operates. I wasn't surprised at all that he was outspoken and defending his team and his guys. The Guardians yesterday announced that uh, now seven members of their coaching staff have been hit, uh, you know, with COVID or under COVID protocols. Uh, I reached out to our friend Terry Franconi yesterday. It was right after he'd taken a bus back from Chicago to Cleveland. Uh, Tim, I, I thought this was all behind us. Yeah, I'm really worried, Buster. I mean, the whole COVID thing is is still here. And we were hoping to some degree this would be not a COVID-affected season like the last two. But clearly, it is now. And when seven coaches get this, I guess that's better than seven players getting it, I guess. But this is really discouraging. And let's just hope this is isolated, but I, I don't think we can be naive and think this is the only time this is going to happen this year where one team gets hit hard like this. It's it's discouraging for me. I wanted to uh, ask you today about Bob Melvin, uh, the manager of the Padres who had surgery the other day. Padres announced it won't be for another week before they tell us exactly what's going on with him. Uh, Bob told reporters that he doesn't think that what he has with this prostate is cancer, but we don't know yet. You know him far better than I do. Uh, you know what? Tell me about Bob Melvin. Well, he's a great manager, maybe one of the three best managers in the game. He's wicked smart and he's got such a great feel with people and he's a very private guy. I saw him quite a bit this spring and I asked him, gratuitous how you doing how's everybody how's your health all that and he never said a word which is also typical of him but there's no way he would have started this season if he knew that at least in my mind if he knew that this was going to take him out for an extended extended period so i think he had an idea of what's going on i think he should stay away until he's healthy i texted him the other day wished him well texted me right back so all we can hope for is that he's going to be healthy when he comes back and not before because the, the Padres really need him, Buster, on a baseball end. They needed somebody to go in there and clean up some things, I was told. And he did that immediately in spring training. And I think it shows to some degree in the way that team has played. The Houston Astros yesterday uh, picked up the uh, a suspension, a resumed a suspension, a suspended game with the Minnesota Twins. They win that 11-3, and then in game two, they shut them out 5-0. We talked about the Angels, how good they are. Is this going to be the best race, you think, in baseball, the Astros and the Angels? Um, I still like that National League West. I still think the Giants are really good. And again, the Padres are I think going to be really good when Tatis Jr. comes back. But it's going to be a great race in the West. And I didn't see it being a great race at the beginning. But already, um, I'm obviously a believer in the Astros. They went to the World Series last year. They've got Justin Verlander back, and he's great. They're going to get Lance McCullers Jr. back, maybe not till the second half. But imagine adding him to your rotation and getting something big from him. But Patrick Sandoval's got a great changeup. He's a good pitcher now. Noah Syndergaard has added another element to that rotation. And Buster, with Taylor Ward swinging the bat that he, the way he is now, you add him in the middle of that order with Trout and Rendon healthy to go with Otani and others, that's a pretty darn good team right now. I did not see them turning this around this quickly, and I think it'll be a great race in the West. Here, the, 
Astros have won 10 in a row, and they can't shake the Angels. Now, you love numbers and history uh, even more than I do. Uh, are you co-signing the possibility that Justin Verlander might be the last guy to get to 300 wins, which I, you know, three years ago, I would have thought no chance. But now I'm thinking, you know what? He might have a shot. He's got 230 career wins versus 130 career losses. Okay. I'm going to say he's not getting to 300. He's, he's the most competitive pitcher I think I've ever met. There's nothing. He has to win everything. He once told me, Buster, when he walks along the street with his friends, he has to get to the door first. He has to. I, I saw him in spring training one year, many years, and he's running sprints with the pitchers, but he's the best pitcher in the league, and he wins all the sprints. I said, why do you do that? He goes, I have to win. That's who I am. I have to win. So, But 70 wins is a lot at his age, but for him to come back and be this good this quickly – is remarkable, um, but I'm going to say he's not going to win 300 games. All right. Well, travel safe, Tim, and uh, thanks for uh, taking over this weekend. My pleasure, Buster, and enjoy graduation. It's just another great moment in the life of a father. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. We're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com Buster. Just go to Indeed.com Buster right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Buster. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Jessica Mendoza is an analyst for ESPN. Jess, how are you doing this week? I'm doing awesome. Another good week. Getting to the middle of the end of May and the way that the storylines have panned out in baseball, even though we're a month and a half in, it's, it's exciting. Yeah, almost a quarter of the way through the season. And I'll start out with a statistic. I'm going to ambush you with that, with this. Uh, I looked it up this morning. As of this moment, there are seven teams on a pace to win 100 or more games. And there are six teams on a pace to lose 100 or more games. Good thing or bad thing? Bad. 
awful. I mean, honestly, like no one, I don't know, like you don't want outliers. And as soon as you said there's seven or more teams on pace to win a hundred more, my immediate reaction was like, there's more bad teams. You know, it doesn't tell you anything to me like it used to about the greatness of the really, really good teams. It actually tells more of the story of the teams that are literally just not competitive at all. And are going to rack up so many losses that that to me, like it, it doesn't tell the complete story of the teams that truly stand out. No, I, I uh, we had Cubs and Dodgers on Sunday Night Baseball last weekend, and I saw all three of those games between these two teams. I, I didn't feel like the Cubs had a chance to win the game, and I don't remember feeling that very often watching games in baseball. That's not supposed to be the case in baseball, you know. No, that's, I mean, like I literally have a hard time even looking when I'm looking at certain games to watch and it's, it's finding out, you know, which teams that are absolutely struggling. I mean, actually the pirates did a lot better this week. Um, but there's just been so many teams right now that when they're going up against, especially a team like the Dodgers, it's just not that like, you know, there's always a chance to win on any given day and all the cliches, like that's not the case right now when you're getting really good teams up against the bottom of the barrel. Yeah. For years, the general perception of baseball was, is that your starting pitcher gave you a chance when it was the, you know, a really good team against a really bad team, for example, uh, and I'm sure you remember this, Jess. In 1972, Steve Carlton pitching for a 59-win Phillies team won 27 games. Wow. Right? So that the perception was is that look, the Phillies can beat anybody on the day that Steve Carlton pitches. But the difference is now you don't see pitchers throw more than five or six innings. <laughs> yeah. So well, that, and 27 wins. I mean, like, <laughs> right. like that many starts, like. No, once the bullpens get in, and that's really where the, the teams that have struggled, if you look at it, it isn't the starting pitching for the most part. It's the bullpen. Like when they give up a ton of runs, it's when the starting pitcher comes out in the fourth or the fifth. And now you've got to, the, the second half of the game, you've got to cover. So two of the teams that are on track to win 100 or more games are the Astros or the Angels. I just asked Tim the question, do you think this could turn out to be the best two-team race that we see in baseball this year? What do you think? I think they're the two most exciting teams to watch right now. And I, I get it. Yankees fans. I get it. Dodgers fans, the Mets, you know, anyone out in New York's throwing potatoes at me because that's definitely not how they feel. But I'm telling you, you watch the star power of both of these teams. And, you know, obviously the angels, a team that we've been waiting to see more in the limelight, more attention. I get it. Mike Trout, Shohei Otani. But to me, I mean, Taylor Ward is a name that most people don't know about and how well that he has done for a really good angels team. I mean, Mets fans can now, you know, watch Noah Syndergaard in an angels uniform. Um, But Taylor Ward and his story, and, you know, I've seen them a ton this year and I just, I love on a team that has so much to talk about that he has really been the story for them because of how well he's hit. And, you know, his whole, you know, being a first round pick out of Fresno state, you know, seven years ago, how he's revamped his swing, being able to have like a different approach, a simplistic approach. And then you see it actually happen. You, you see the similarities and the fact that he's been able to watch Mike Trout and almost emulate him to a T, um, which I'm sure many hitters have tried to do, but Taylor Ward has found a ton of success and being able to understand the pitches that he can hit, being extremely patient. And to do that, Buster, you have to have a more simple swing. And that's what he's done, you know, with, you know, eliminating a high leg kick, being able to have something very smooth to get to that toe plant on his front side so that he's able to recognize pitches and stay off the ones that honestly he's not going to be able to slug. 
Sorry, I don't know if you can hear in the background, but with someone's mowing a lawn outside, I apologize for that. Uh, how hard is that to do as a hitter to make that sort of adjustment? Because I'm sure that, especially in this era of high velocity, there are a lot of hitters looking to simplify their swing. For example, uh, you know, on Sunday one before we had the Cubs, we talked in our meeting about Jason Hayward and how you know he he when he first got to the big leagues, the thought was he was going to be an absolute offensive superstar because he's you know big and strong and he really cares. But he's got that little hitch in his in his swing with his wrist, as you know, at the outset of the swing, he's never been able to conquer that. So the ch- sort of change you're describing to me is a lot more difficult than maybe what people realize. Oh, my gosh. Especially when you're talking about lower body and upper body getting into it like a different sink. So when you're you're trying to make an adjustment where that front foot gets down to then trigger the upper half to be able to have that torque exactly what you need to do in a simplistic way so that you can see and track. You just mentioned pitchers are throwing the ball harder than they ever have. We're seeing breaking balls move more than we ever have. So how are you able to, first of all, recognize the difference, but then understand strike to strike. So it's not even ball to strike anymore. Like it used to be it's strike to strike. Meaning these are the strikes that I can hit. This is my red zone. Okay. So even though this pitch is also a strike, this is going to be a ground out like nine out of 10 times for me. I can put this ball in play, but I'm not going to be able to drive this ball. So we're asking for now hitters to be able at the level of greatness that we're seeing to be able to recognize the difference of centimeters when a ball is coming 99 miles an hour or then dropping it at 78 and being able to do that while making these mechanical adjustments to put themselves in the best position. It is insane to me. And that's why when I hear a, a batter, like Taylor Ward, who's, you know, gone through, and we're talking gone catcher to third base to outfield to now as a hitter being able to drastically change everything that he's done. I mean, it shows dedication, but also you get in Game Buster and there's a reason why everyone talks about it and few do it. <laughs> because once you get into the game, let's just go back to how what we're comfortable with, right? I mean, that's like when it's like panic mode and like I've got two strikes and here's 99 miles an hour. I'm going back to what makes me feel comfortable. And more times than not, it's with the same swing you've been doing since 10 years old. Yeah. And it's because of that effort that's required, I think you'll agree with me, uh, is the reason why uh, incorrect ball strike calls seem to be bothering hitters more than ever <laughs> where their feeling is, you know what? We work on this. We're working hours and yeah. hours and hours yes. and put ourselves in a position and we make a, a correct judgment on whether ball or a strike is, is, uh, is, you know, the, the pitch that's coming across or near the plate and the umpire gets it wrong. That drives them crazy, especially yeah. when they walk off the field and you and I know they go right back into the dugout, right into the clubhouse. They look at a monitor and say, uh-huh. K-Zone says, I was right and the umpire was wrong. Uh, you know, this is a situation we had the other night with the Braves and the Red Sox. Kevin Plowecki of the Red Sox is down in an 0-2 count. Bases loaded, two outs, tie score, seventh inning. Uh, he's down the count 0-2 to Colin McHugh. He works the count back to 3-2. and two. He takes a, a pitch clearly below the zone. It, you know, replay shows that it was clearly below the zone. And it was called a strike. And he lost his mind. Alice Cora lost his mind. They both get ejected. Uh, and, you know, the Red Sox later lose the game. They should have been leading in that moment 4-3, but instead they go on and lose the game, which just led, uh, you know, to the conversation I had uh, yesterday on the pod uh, with Dave Schoenfield about, you know, how do we deal with this whole issue with the strike zone? We know that baseball 
at some point could go to the electronic strike zone. But I mentioned to Dave that I've kind of shifted my thought process on initially I was all in on the E zone, but now I'm, you know, I hate the idea that catcher, which is the most enjoyable position to me, the most fun position, all that nuance that's been built up over decades, that all would go away and catcher would become an offensive position. So I don't know if I love that. I know umpires, you know, also, you know, they don't want to go to an E zone. So here's my compromise. And I want to see if you are interested in this. An umpire meritocracy, rather than rotate all four umpires on every crew, say, we got a couple guys who, who are going to call balls and strikes, kind of like with a pitching staff. You have your, you know, number one and number two, have two guys be your ball strike, um, strike umpires, have someone who has demonstrated through metrics that he's really good at calls at first base, put that guy at that position every day. And then the veteran guy, you know, the crew chief, so to speak, who can run the replays and uh, have other administrative duties, you put him at third base, but you rotate the best ball strike umpires, and we judge those years to year. And you earn that right. You know, you just don't simply rotate through because you're one of all these umpires. Because you and I know there's some guys who are really good at it and some guys who aren't so good at it. I mean, I like it if we're really trying to work the snail's pace to get to where we're eventually all going to get, which is an electronic <laughs> strike zone. So if that, that was a nice way of saying, no, I don't agree with you. Just go to the E-zone. <laughs> well, no, because I've never heard that. And actually, I like the idea of the fact that, and especially because you were talking about pitch framing for catchers, like the art of what a catcher is and not wanting to just automatically eliminate it. I mean, I, I really like what they're doing in the minor leagues right now, which is you still have your home plate umpire, but in a call like with the Red Sox just the other night, you have the ability to review it. So let's be real. When we're watching these games at home, we're in the booth, everyone knows strike to ball. They can see it immediate real time. We know the one person that doesn't know sometimes is the guy behind the plate, which I get, they're going to make mistakes. They can't be able to pinpoint every single time. And even with your umpires that know the, these are the best of the best, they're still going to make mistakes. My thing is if they make a mistake and it's a, you know, eight zero game and it's a three, one count and they have that, that's fine. It's the big moments. That's why we have replay reviews for everything else be able to go and in real time, they could tell you red light, green light, ball strike. Hey, I need to review that call. Just like in tennis, hey, out in, you know, was this where it was? Because with our electronics, the technology now, it's it's almost silly that we aren't able, because my fear, Buster, is we're going to get to October. And now that we've like understood this is happening already in the minor leagues, it is coming in Major League Baseball. There are going to be calls that are made that are wrong that are going to affect the game behind the plate. And at this point, we should be able to say, this was a ball, this was a strike, let's make it right. Okay, this is, uh, you know, where me being a reporter, I always look for that, that uh, you know, potential slippery slope and what you're talking about, because I feel like, okay, if you put in challenges like that and teams save them up for like, say, a big moment in the ninth inning, that will inevitably lead to the question of, why should we accept that call in the first inning when we know we have the ability to get it right? Which would be, be the argument for going to an E-zone without having any umpire input. Which I'm totally okay with. <laughs> and I think, I honestly think, Buster, if we're having this conversation five years, eight years from now, that's where we're going to be. I, I believe that that's where it's going to end up, but I don't know how long it's going to take. 
I just feel like where we're at with technology and honestly, if we want to reach more younger fans and we want the, the, the people at home that literally live on electronics, this is, this is their language. Like they aren't going to be able to watch the game unless they understand, wait, wait, that was a strike and they called it a ball. I don't understand. Like, why can't they just get the call right? This is where, this is where we're headed. I think you're right. And I think it's going to happen sooner rather than later. Because more, as I say, more and more players are driving this conversation. They just want the calls made correctly. All right, I mean, I'm going to go out and help the lawn. Oh, yeah. I was like, how are you not out there? I know you have all your different hats that you wear every time you, you mow your lawn. You got like all your caps. And I was like, wait, someone else is mowing Buster's lawn? Like, where, where are we at right now? <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jess. Thank you. All right. Thanks, Buster. <laughs> Bleacher Tweets. All right, Buster, it is time for Bleacher Tweets. So our first tweet comes from Eric Bobby at Bet the Family Farm. Conspiracy theory, MLB umpires are intentionally calling bad ball strikes as directed by MLB to usher in robo-umps. So fans and players all support the move. As someone who hates robo-umps, it's looking not so bad anymore. Yeah, Eric, I'm not buying into your conspiracy theory uh, because I know umpires well enough to know they're not going to intentionally do a bad job <laughs> because they know that they get this sort of uh, uh, you know scrutiny. They get this sort of angry feedback immediately from the players, and they don't want that. Uh, in fact, baseball's run into a problem through the years because there are times when, for example, when they ask the umpires to you know shoe batters into the box and and uh, try to move the game along. Umpires don't like to be, you know, sort of like the the traffic cops. They don't like that sort of responsibility. So, no, they're doing the best they can. Most of the umpires do a great job. There's certainly been examples this year in which it hasn't been very good. Yeah, I can't imagine anyone intentionally calling yeah. a bad play. I don't think you would want to deal with the aftermath from a player or coach like that. Right. At HSplit 1977, why can divisions be lost early in the year, but they can't be won early in the year? Along those lines, do you think the Red Sox are done in 2022? Yeah, uh, and we'll talk to Sarah Langs about this on Monday. Um, I don't, I can't think of a lot of precedents uh, where a team fell this deeply behind in a race and made it all the way back to win a division. Now, the good thing for the Red Sox is uh, with the playoff field expanded to 12 teams, six in each league. It's a little bit more forgiving, but man, <laughs> like it, it's ugly early for the Red Sox, especially with the Yankees playing so well. Um, that's always the mantra that I've always heard from folks in baseball. Divisions uh, can't be won early in the year, but they can be lost. Reggie, a baseball and weather nerd at Baseball Yoda WX. I don't work in baseball, so forgive me for telling someone how to run their business. Seems the whole young Royals group of pitchers do well until they get to MLB. Then they go backward and don't improve in the minors. Then consider that former Royals go to the organ other organizations, make use of pitches that work better from them as individuals and end up with more success. Seems to me the current MLB staff is failing and not developing plans that work for the given pitcher. All right. So there was for years thoughts along similar lines with the Pirates, you know, guys like Garrett Cole would leave and they'd get better. Charlie Morton, uh, et cetera. I haven't heard that from folks in baseball. I do wonder about two factors when it comes to the Royals. Uh, 
you know, one, the fact that they play in what is considered to be one of the easier divisions in baseball. You know, you're facing a lineup like the Tigers or the Guardians in recent years. I know the Guardians have had a better year this year, uh, but generally speaking, the, that lineup is not as potent. Maybe when they go outside the division, then it becomes a little bit more difficult. Uh, and the second factor that I've wondered about generally is that the gap between the major leagues and minor leagues seems more significant than ever. Like it, it doesn't feel like that it's, a, you know, the difference between, uh, say, a major league team is just a hair uh, and, and AAA is a hair difference in terms of quality. It feels like that, that gap is growing. That's just my perception. And so I think there's a greater challenge for pitchers when they get to the big leagues. But yes. The fact that the Royals haven't developed their pitching has been a big problem early this season, but they're also not hitting very much either. And the last one is from at Sarah K underscore sports. Oh my gosh. I wonder who that is. She seems super cool. Definitely. <laughs> definitely not me. I don't know who that is. If there was a zombie apocalypse, who would you rather be in alliance with Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer? Oh my gosh. Uh, you know, Sarah Kate, I might have you answer this question since you posed it. <laughs> since we're not we're not into forming alliances. Uh golly. Uh you know what? I think I'd probably go with Scherzer. What about you? You know what? I would have to agree. And just to be clear, if there is ever a zombie apocalypse, I'm not surviving. There's just okay. no way. You know what? And two, I think the reason why is because Max has those different colored eyes. Maybe he'd freak out the zombies a little bit. Maybe the yeah. zombies wouldn't care, but it would be an extra weapon you could have. Yes, exactly. You know, you can never be too prepared when it comes to a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> so that's it for Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to submit your questions every week using hashtag Bleacher Tweets. Be sure to also check us out on YouTube. We had our great baggage claim monday episode up right now and we'll have another one on monday so be sure to check that out that's it for today that's it for this week my thanks to chim jess sarah have a great day everybody thanks for listening stay safe and remember hate and inequality based on skin color is something we need to fight against every single day Thanks for listening to the Baseball Tonight podcast. If you're playing fantasy baseball, check out the Fantasy Focus podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. The Baseball Tonight podcast. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply.